You are listening to the Bellator Christi podcast, brought to you by bellatorchristi.com. Now join your host, Brian Chilton, as we enter the arena of ideas. So there's so much truth in that parable. Uh, before I begin, I want to let you know one additional announcement. Uh, the uh, Yakin Baptist Association, uh, some of the people in the Yakin Baptist Association are going to meet tomorrow to build a ramp uh, for a lady in Yakinville. Uh, and so, uh, Burl, where did Burl get to? He's in the nursery. Okay. All right. So uh, if you'd like to help out, they're going to be meeting tomorrow. I think he said is on Allen Road in Yakinville. Get with him as soon as service is over if you'd like to help out with that. Uh, there's, again, a lady in need of assistance, and so they're getting together some supplies and some uh, things for her to build a ramp for her. So if you'd like to help out with that, uh, be sure to get with him. Also, uh, it's great to see Bob and Brenda back with us. Uh, they've been on a trip to Alaska, and uh, boy, I tell you what, they were one of only 33% of people who got to see, I believe it was Mount Denali, if I'm not mistaken, there in Alaska, and they sent some pictures, and my goodness, I was just drooling, just looking at the pictures, but I know the pictures didn't even do that justice. So we serve a powerful God, and it's wonderful to have them back with us uh, here today as well. We're going to encourage you uh, at this time, if you have your copy of God's Word, uh, to turn with us in the book of Acts, chapter 2, uh, Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, as we continue our study in the book of Acts. 
Today we're going to talk about five signs of a healthy church. Now to, to put in perspective what we've been discussing already, uh, we've discussed the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit has come down upon the believers. Uh, they've gathered together. They've actually taken the message to the street, uh, telling people about the loving grace of God through Jesus, the Messiah, and the infilling of the Holy Spirit that takes place upon salvation. And so uh, they're gathered back together. The Bible tells us, Luke records for us, that the church added as many as 3,000 individuals and remember, most of the time they only counted men in large numbers like that, so it may have been even more than the 3,000. So uh, they, they added to the number of the church in a massive move of the Holy Spirit. And so now we come back in verse 42, and we see the continued state of the early church. And we encourage, if you can and are able to, to please stand in honor of the reading and hearing of God's precious holy word. Verses 42 through verse 47. The Word of God reads, and they continued. Now, let me just go ahead and tell you, we're looking at five signs, and four signs you're going to be able to see in verse 42. Okay? And they continued steadfastly. It wasn't a here today, gone tomorrow type of thing. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. That's the first. And fellowship. That's the second. In the breaking of bread. That's, we're going to talk about worship there. And in prayers, the fourth one. And now verses 43 through 46 builds upon those points, and verse 47 gives us our fifth. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common. They sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. Now look. Now, let me just say, sometimes we complain if service goes over 12 o'clock, don't we? <laughs> Some people do. But look what happens here in verse 46. You know, we come to church basically once a week for a couple of hours, and we have Wednesday night Bible study, which is an hour, choir practice, which is an hour. So what we're talking about, what, four hours, maybe a week. Look what they did in the early church. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple, daily, they met together in one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. To kind and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and the power found therein. We just ask for your power to be found through this message, through your Holy Spirit. Allow me to speak the words that need to be spoken. Hold back any words that don't need to be spoken. And in through it all, Lord, we ask that you would open our eyes that we would see, our ears that we would hear, and our hearts that will apply these truths and be better for it. For it's in Jesus' name we ask all these things. Amen and amen. You may be seated. Along the California coastline, one will find a magnificent sight. Many, uh, many people in our church have actually got, had a chance to, to go and see the things I'm getting ready to mention. We're talking about the California redwood trees. What a magnificent sight these trees are. They are about 300 feet high. Some of them are 40 feet in diameter. In fact, some, around some of these trees, they have actually built roads through these trees People have built homes in these trees. These things are magnificent specimens. Some of them have been living for over 250 years. 
But there's an amazing thing about these redwoods. They don't grow everywhere. In fact, they're mainly found in groves in uh, this one section in California. And when you look underneath the soil, you find something else that's amazing about these trees. These trees all blend together. Their root system blends together. Uh, They are so intertwined, they depend upon one another. No intertwining, no growth. No connectedness, no growth. In the same way, we as Christians are interconnected. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So understand, beloved, that we in the church, we are intertwined, we are interconnected with God through the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, we can do nothing. Beloved, let me just say, that same Holy Spirit, this is an amazing thing as Sammy gave his testimony, the same Holy Spirit that was in creation, the beginning of creation, that formed everything at the spoken word, formed everything into being, is the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, and that's the same Holy Spirit that worked in Sammy's life and healed him of his cancer. I told him on the phone, I said, God ain't done with you yet, Sammy if nothing else, to keep me in line, <laughs> you know. And so, uh, so, so that same Holy Spirit, we depend upon that Holy Spirit for our faith. We depend upon that Holy Spirit for all things. But believers understand something, that we as Christians, we live in a, we live in a very individualistic society, but we as Christians depend upon one another as well. Christianity is not a solo project. Now, it is because we do have that personal relationship with Christ. That part is individual. But we depend upon one another. We're part of the body of Christ. And I've said before and say it again, if you, if you believe, let I me mean just, I shouldn't do this, but I'm going to anyhow. How many of you have ever trusted Jesus as your Savior? Raise your hands. I want you to look around. Look at every, keep your hands up, look around. You know what that means? I'm saved, you're saved, we're going to be spending a long time together. Amen? We're going to be spending eternity together. So shouldn't it behoove us to learn how to get along with one another? Because you're going to see these faces. I mean, you may not like this face right here, but you're going to be seeing it for a long time. I'm sorry to tell you. Yeah, because we're going to be enjoying heaven together, and what a wonderful day that's going to be. But at Pentecost, what we see is that we have this interconnectedness together as believers through the abiding Holy Spirit. So this early church we see is a very healthy church. Unfortunately, today in time, uh, you read on Tom Rainer's posts, there are many churches closing their doors. There are many churches that are in decline. But beloved, let me tell you, that doesn't have to be the case. We only allow that to be the case if we try to do it on our own without the Holy Spirit's guidance. But that same Holy Spirit is the same Spirit that worked through George Whitfield and John Wesley to provide a great awakening. And I believe in my heart of hearts that he can do the same thing here today. Amen? He can do the same thing here today. So, beloved, we can be a healthy church. And I'm not just talking about this at Huntsville Baptist Church. I'm talking about this as we record this uh, information. In fact, I posted Dennis Shaw's message on there. And Emily Shaw said, oh, man, I better be careful what I say in church now. <laughs> so, but anyhow, we're going to be posting this online. So anyone who hears this message uh, through the podcast, this is uh, true for any church whatsoever that may be out there. There are five, five signs of a healthy church. Number one, a healthy church holds the sign of apostolic theology. Now, what do we mean here? Go back to verse 42. Look, they continued steadfastly 
in the apostles' doctrine. Now, why is it important to hold to the apostles' doctrine? Well, it's mainly because Jesus raised these apostles to carry his message into the world. And so when we talk about the early apostles' message, we're in fact talking about the message of Jesus. That's what a rabbi would do. The rabbi would gather together disciples, and he would teach these disciples his message so that these disciples would be his voice going out into the world. They would have to memorize his messages. They would have to memorize everything he said and take that message out. Now, some people will say, now, Brian, wait a minute. Isn't this like the game telephone? You remember that game telephone? Like if, say I'm person A, and I, and, and, and I, and I, tell, uh, you know, I tell Ashley she'll be person B something. And you know how the game works. It, it goes all the way, you keep telling someone all the way around, it goes all the way around until it gets to Janet, and by the time what Janet says, it's completely different than how it started. Some people will say, well, wait a minute, Brian, isn't that the way it works? Not really. For two reasons. One... We have to understand we live in a culture where we depend on this. Tablets, <laughs> smartphones. But you know what that's actually showing? I'm taking a little, running a little rabbit here, but I think it's important we, we acknowledge this. We were on vacation, 106.9 The Light, station out of Black Mountain, North Carolina, gave a report coming out of Psychology Today that smartphones are making us stupid. That was, the, that was the headline. Smartphones are making us stupid because they have done research to show that we lose 85% of our cognitive abilities by depending on these things. But the same was not true in oral cultures that we see in the first century. When you have a culture that depends upon the things that are memorized, what studies have indicated is that volumes of books can be memorized and remembered and carried forth from generation to generation. In fact, in Jesus' day, you were not allowed to teach from a book unless you had memorized it from cover to cover. Now, many people ask, what was Jesus doing before he started his ministry? I believe he was committing to memory several books. In fact, maybe even the entire Old Testament to memory. Jesus quotes from the first five books of the Bible. That means he must have memorized them. He also quotes from the Psalms. He must have memorized all the Psalms. He quotes from the Proverbs. He must have memorized that. Isaiah, Zechariah, many other books he must have committed to memory because he didn't have that right before him. He's quoting it verbatim from his memory. Now, what this is to show us is that in this early culture, when you are committed to learning a message, you memorize it and you, and you tell other people and make sure they understand the message as well. Now, what does this have to do with what we're talking about? It has to do because the early church depended upon the message of Jesus. They knew him to be the Messiah. They trusted upon the apostles' teaching. And they grew the church around the preaching and teaching of God's holy word. Beloved, if we as a church or any church strays from the teaching of God's word, not only are we an unhealthy church, we are a church destined for destruction. Amen? And I want to tell you something, and I hold this as a high priority in my life, and I know many other pastors do as well. One of the ways that the devil is working in today's time is he's getting in many of these pulpits today, and there are being many things promoted and proclaimed through the pulpits that aren't part of the apostolic doctrine. Amen? 
We're hearing so many things on television that have absolutely nothing to do with God's Word. And if we are as, as a church are going to be strong and healthy, we have to get back to the basics. We have to get back to the teachings of Jesus Christ and hold those teachings fervently in our hearts, in our minds, in our souls, committing the Word of God to ourselves and making it a part of our lives. As, as Ashley so wonderfully said in Children's Church, we have to see fruit, and that fruit can only come through the Holy Spirit of God. Number two, a healthy church holds the sign of united fellowship. Look what it says in verse 42. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. Now, look, they also, in verse 44, they who believed were together and had all things in common, sold their possessions and goods, and divided them among all as anyone had need. Now, in today's time, that may not be possible. And let me just correct something that you'll hear some people say. Some people say, well, this advocates socialism or communism. That's not the case whatsoever. Because them doing this, they came together and they did this willingly of their own mind and of their own accord. Kenneth Gangel uh, says that in opposition to communism and socialism, the early church's sharing was voluntary, contemporary, and discretionary. But what we see here, well, the reason they did this is they were supporting one another. They, they were helping one another. They loved one another. They were united together in the fellowship that they had in and through the salvation of Christ and through the unity found in the Holy Spirit. Beloved, the same Holy Spirit that saved your soul is the same Holy Spirit that saves others as well. And so we are united together as a family. Now one thing I've noticed is that if you look at different cities and towns, different cities and towns will try to compare themselves to other cities and towns. For instance, uh, Greensboro is a city close to us, and, and I've heard through the news and things of this nature that many city officials will try to use the tactics you employed in Charlotte and try to become like Charlotte. Well, during my, when I go down to a conference in Charlotte, I've also noticed that I've heard some city officials in Charlotte say, we want to adopt the models used in Atlanta. Atlanta, amen, it's a big city, amen, <laughs> big city, uh, you know, the, the, perhaps even the capital of the south, you know, huge city is Atlanta. Well, when we were down there on vacation seeing the Atlanta Braves play, uh, we've seen them a couple times down at Turner Field, wonderful, it was hot, but it was a wonderful time, uh, I heard some city officials in Atlanta say, well, we want to adopt some things that they're doing in New York. And I'm sure if you were to look at the New York news, you would say, well, we want to adopt the things that they have in Paris or London. It seems like no one's ever satisfied, amen? We short people want to be taller. And I've heard some tall people want to be shorter. Now, see, if Adam and I could get together, we could find a good balance. I, I, I wish I could add a few more inches, you know, there. But, uh, you know, that's, we're never satisfied, are we? You know, some people want to lose weight, some people want to gain weight. You know, we're never, ever satisfied. But, beloved, when we come together as a church, we must strive to have unity in one mind and one accord. Paul says to the church in Ephesus, Ephesians 4.3, he says, Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And uh, Ephesians 4, 11 through 13, uh, Paul writes that Christ gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, so on and so forth, equipping the saints for the work of the ministry to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of God's Son. 
He writes to the church of Colossae in Colossians 3.14 that above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Beloved, we must strive if we want to be a healthy church or any church wants to be a healthy church. We must take those chips that we wear on our shoulders, take them off and throw them in the trash can. We must humble ourselves and love one another the way Christ has even loved us because as Christ tells us, a divided house cannot stand. May we as God's people be united together in the bonds of love and mercy and grace that we find in Christ Jesus. Um, David and Ruth Ann gave me a calendar and it's really, it has some really good quotes on there. And Ruth Ann, one of the quotes it recently said that went right along with this message. In fact, it was the day that I was preparing this message. It says, blowing out someone else's candle doesn't make yours shine any brighter. And I think that's absolutely true. May we ignite the light of each of our brothers and sisters in Christ. Love one another in unity and in truth and help one another in this journey we call life. Number three, a healthy church holds the sign of joyful worship. Look what they, they broke the bread in verse 42. Now the breaking of bread here is a lot similar uh, really to the Moravian practice of love feasts or uh, kind of somewhat similar to our Baptist dinners that we have you know, after church sometimes. What they would do in communion is they would break the bread and they would pass out the juice, and then they would partake of, of a love feast afterwards. And so you, you see that uh, working together. They enjoyed each other's company. They enjoyed one another's company. And, and they wanted to be together. They wanted to share the love of Christ with everyone that they came across. Beloved, understand something. We don't have to go to church. We get to go to church. It should be a joy and privilege that each and every one of us have to be able to get up on Sunday morning and come to church. Now, some people will say, no, wait a minute. They didn't have anything better to do in those days. They didn't have to do all the stuff we do today. That's baloney. They were, a lot of times, farmers working from the, the, uh, the breaking of day all the way to evening time as well. That's how they survived. You know, they had to depend on their work to survive. But they came together because they loved one another. They enjoyed being with one another, and they enjoyed worshiping the Lord. You know, I've preached messages. I've preached revivals before, and it's a funny thing. After the service, I've had some people say, Preacher, that was one of the best messages I ever heard. And boy, that really builds you up. And then you have another person stumbling out and says, <laughs> just barely able to walk out and say, yeah, that was okay, thank you for being here, you know, and everything like that. What happened? They heard the same message, part of the same service. Well, beloved, I really believe in my heart of hearts that you get out of worship what you put in it. Amen? You get out of worship... What you put in it? Are you prayed up? Are you read up? Are you praying for the service? Are you praying for God to move? Are you filled with the Holy Spirit? Are you excited about what God's doing, about what God is going to do? If, you are, or if you're doing that, I promise you, you're going to get something. may not be out of my messages, maybe out of Ashley's songs or, or children's studies, but you're going to get something out of the service. But if you come dreading the very moment you step foot in these doors, I can about promise you, you're not going to get anything out of the service. You're letting the devil steal your joy. So as a healthy church, we need to get excited about worship. 
We need to get excited about being here. We need to thank the Lord for the opportunity to be able to come together in spirit and in truth to be able to worship with some of the best people in the world. That's God's people. Amen? God's people are the best people in the world because they, they're filled with the Spirit of God. They're saved, and they, they're, on a, they're a kings, or they're, they're, they're uh, princes and princesses of the king going to that heavenly place we know in paradise. Number four, a healthy church holds the sign of devoted prayer. Look what it says in verse 42. They continued steadfastly, not only in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, not only in the breaking of bread, but they also continued steadfastly in prayer. They prayed for one another. They prayed for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. They prayed for a moving of the Holy Spirit. They were prayed up. They were devoted in their prayer times. In verse 46, you see that they, were, they continued daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. They were joyful as they broke bread with one another. They were happy to be in God's house. They were happy to see what God had done in their lives. They were happy to be part of the kingdom of God. Understand, beloved, and understand this very well. The ministry is a spiritual endeavor. Our enemies are not atheists or Muslims or Buddhists or anyone else. In fact, our enemy is Satan and his demonic powers, amen? That's what we're fighting against. We're not fighting against people. We're fighting against principalities and powers of darkness. And in order for us to be able to stand and do this work effectively, beloved, we must have the Holy Spirit of God working in us and through us, using us for His honor and for His glory. And so if we are not praying with consistency and with power, beloved, we are not going to have any impact whatsoever. Now, you can, you, can, you can go and you can train for a marathon. You can start running. That's a physical thing. I, I admire, you know, uh, even though I know it can be aggravating sometimes, you know, I, it's amazing to me that people are able to, to ride bicycles as long as they do. I mean, I, I was out there one day. It was really hot, and uh, the, uh, ride, one guy was riding his bicycle. He was panning, uh, yeah, and I thought, my goodness, I hope he stops by and gets him some water or something. I, mean, I don't, he didn't know how he did that. But, uh, you know, that's a physical thing. You train your body to do that. But this thing of ministry is a spiritual endeavor. The only protection we have from Satan is found through the Holy Spirit. As we're going to talk about in VBS, the armor of God. I don't think it could have come at a better time because we are in a spiritual war in this day and time. We must take on the armor of God. We must if we're going to have any impact. We have to take up the sword of the Spirit. And I also believe that prayer is another offensive weapon that we have as well. Because through the power of prayer, we can see things happening. But we have to depend upon God. We must trust upon Him. The early church had power not because of their own strength, not because of their ingenuity, and not because of their intellect. They had power because the indwelling, abiding Holy Spirit of Almighty God. Last but certainly not least, a healthy church holds the sign of intentional evangelism, verse 47. Now this is more of an implicit point, but it's a very important point. They were praising God and having favor with all people. Now this doesn't mean that we have to be obnoxious in what we do. 
But what we try to do is we try to find, we're intentional about it, we try to find some way, somehow, to share the gospel. Sometimes it may be through a kind deed that we do to someone, for someone else. And, and, and through that, maybe we can share the love of Christ. But we, we find favor with all people. We try to do good. We try to let people see the light of God shining forth in our lives. And look what happens. The Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. The Lord added to the church daily individuals who were being saved by the grace of Almighty God. So what we find about this is that the church was intentional in their evangelism. As the study note says, Luke did not say how this took place, but it appears that evangelism took place primarily through the gathering of Christians in the temple and in individual houses. The crucifixion and resurrection of Christ were at the heart of early Christian preaching, which called for an immediate response from anyone who would listen. Now, folks, I have to, I'm just going to pick on myself right now. I love my Green Bay Packers. And Nolan's shaking his head right now. <laughs> I offered to let him borrow my blanket, and he said he might do something bad with it, so I didn't. But anyhow, uh, I love my Green Bay Packers. When they won the Super Bowl a few years ago, I was probably a little obnoxious about it because I posted pictures. They were probably dumb pictures, pictures of me wearing my big old cheese head, wearing my jersey. I was flaunting around anywhere. Anyone who would listen to me, I was telling them about how what a wonderful game that was, how my Packers won the Super Bowl. And I probably saw so many people just looking at me, thinking in their minds, couldn't read their minds, but you can almost picture them saying, well, I wish he would just shut up. <laughs> you know, I've heard enough about this. But I got to thinking about this. As much enthusiasm as I have in my Packers or anyone else may have in their sports team, what if we were to talk about Jesus with the same enthusiasm that we do a Super Bowl game? What if we were to talk about Jesus with the same gusto that we do with, with other things in life that uh, drive us, that excite us in life? Beloved, if we were to do that, I believe we would see a change. Do people see Jesus in our lives? Do people see Jesus in our speech? And do people even see Jesus in the things we post online? We have to be careful with that, amen? Because we're telling people about ourselves by the things we post online. We're giving a testimony, either good or bad, about ourselves and about Christ by the things we post online. And believe you me, they told us at a recent conference that they have tools available that if you're applying for a job, they can go back and see everything you've ever posted, you've ever liked, you've ever commented, everything you've ever done on social media. You're not hiding on there. And so we have to be careful even with those tools to make sure we're glorifying God with with those things that we post. But beloved, if we're intentional in our evangelism, we let people know about the love and grace of Almighty God, God's going to bless that. People are going to see the change that Christ has made in our lives, and people are going to want to be part of God's family. We don't want to become obnoxious, but we do want to let people know about the love of God found in and through Christ Jesus. Let me close with this. F.B. Meyer wrote a book. I highly encourage you to read it. It's a small little book called The Secret of Guidance. A good friend of mine, Jason Klein, he told me about this book. and It was written in the early 1900s, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. And what a wonderful little book it is, talking about following the guidance of the Holy Spirit. He tells the story about an interesting thing. I had never heard this before. 
that at the close of the Civil War, peace had been declared. Peace had been declared, but there were many soldiers who were out on the battlefield who were still starving, living only off berries, who did not believe the report that had come to them. Had come to them. They either did not know or did not believe the good news and they went on starving long after their comrades had been welcomed by their wives and children. Theirs was the loss, but their failure in knowledge or belief did not alter the fact that peace was proclaimed and that the door was wide open for their return. They were starving in the fields because they didn't believe the good news that the war was over. Beloved, I believe many of us live defeated lives. We hear reports that Tom Rainer and many others provide, and I think they're important that we listen to these reports. Reports saying that 65% of American churches have either plateaued or in decline. He even said on a recent podcast that two of the churches uh, close to where he served, in, uh, close to Orlando, Florida, I think it was, have now closed because of decline. And we hear these stories, we hear this, and a lot of times we, we feel like we're defeated. We feel like we can't make a difference. We feel like it must be over for the American church. But understand, God says this, he, he's not going to say it's over till it's over. Amen? Or it's not over till he says it's over, till Christ returns. So understand that the same Holy Spirit that was given to the early church that has led to great awakenings, is the same Holy Spirit that can lead to another great awakening and many, many others. But beloved, we must do our part in seeing that our lives are changed in through Christ Jesus. We must do our part by receiving His grace. We must do our part by striving to live a life that would glorify and honor God that would stick to the apostles' doctrine, stick to the teaching of God's Word, that would stick to uh, the, the prayer life that's required of us, the fellowship that we need to have, the joyful worship and the intentional evangelism that is so necessary, not only for us to become a healthy church, but for us to become healthy believers of Christ Jesus. Amen? So with every head bowed and every eye closed, number one, first and foremost, if you're here today, and you've never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior. I want to encourage you to come and receive Him today before it's eternally too late. Or maybe you're here today and maybe you've been burdened down with many worries of the world and want to lay those burdens down before Him. We want to encourage you to also come and just maybe resubmit your life to Christ. Maybe you'd like to come and join the ministry of Huntsville Baptist Church. Whatever God is saying and doing in your heart and your life, We just encourage you to come and do as the Spirit leads. Dear kind and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you, Lord, for your presence here today that's been so powerful and so strong. We just ask, Lord, that you would be with us during this time of invitation. Have your will and your way in this time. We give you all the thanks and glory for it all. on this podcast do not necessarily represent those of bellatorchristi.com or its affiliates. The Bellator Christi podcast is a production of bellatorchristi.com and is protected under Creative Commons copyright. All rights reserved. The theme song is Crucified 
Written by John and Michaela Lemonese. Performed by Crosby Lane and produced by Mansion Entertainment. Be sure to visit bellatorchristie.com and subscribe so that you can receive all the articles and podcasts in your inbox for free. Catch us on iTunes, TuneIn, and Stitcher. For Brian Chilton, this is Burl Childers saying God bless, and we'll see you the next time as we enter into the arena of ideas. Are you looking for something that will train you in Christian apologetics, but you don't have time to commit to a long-term program? Do you want to learn more about the philosophical, scientific, and historical reasons for the Christian faith? If you answered yes, then plan to attend the 25th National Conference on Christian Apologetics, entitled Defending a Faith That Thinks. It will be held October 13th and 14th at Calvary Church in Charlotte, North Carolina, sponsored by Southern Evangelical Seminary. Among the speakers include Michael Brown, Norman Geisler, Gary Habermas, Ken Ham, Richard Howe, Greg Kokel, J.P. Moreland, SES President Richard Land, Jay Richards, Hugh Ross, Frank Turret, Jay Warner Wallace, and more than 30 additional speakers. Early bird pricing lasts until August 1st. For more information, go to conference.ses.edu. I plan to be at the 25th National Conference on Christian Apologetics. I hope to see you there. Once again, this is October 13th and 14th at Calvary Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. Go to conference.ses.edu. The National Conference on Christian Apologetics, defending the faith of things. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Our great nation was built on these simple principles. So was our university. Find your greatness at Liberty. Online or on campus, discover more at liberty.edu. It's the difference between a job and a career.